All right. Well, hey, good morning. Whether uh, you're in the house or online, I just want to say welcome. My name's Mark. I'm the executive pastor here. And um, we've been in this series for a little bit. I kind of want to start out, even if you've been watching or are here and have kept up with us the last few weeks, it's a four-week series, uh, or if this is the first time that you've, you've been with us. I want to kind of give a recap to set up what we're going to talk about this morning because this is uh, a really unique series for us. We, uh, Charlie and I have been talking about it for a while about in the elder group about how to, you know, if we're going to take following Jesus really seriously, what do we do to kind of build a structure around that and the way that we think about it that can give us some practical ways to move forward? And uh, so these four weeks have kind of represented that. The first two weeks about the B part of that, you know, who, who are we? And then the last two weeks this morning about what, then what do we do? And if you remember, the first week we started out just talking about that, man, this thing begins with a passionate relationship with Jesus, like, like really knowing him. And that all of the rest of it, <laughs> like that's all, that all, it'll take care of itself. But that part, I mean, Jesus said it himself at the end of John, if you remember. He said, uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can't, you can't bear fruit. None of these things are going to, Jesus-like stuff doesn't just come out of you. It comes out of you because you're connected to me. And when you're connected to me, then that kind of life begins to flow through you. And those actions start to be a part of those emotions that you start to think and see and, and, and act like me. But without being connected to me, you got no hope. So that first part is just, man, you know, are we, we really pursuing that relationship with him? If you remember that, that Sunday, we also talked about eternal life. That's what eternal life is. Jesus defined it as being in relationship with him, knowing him. And so it's not just a future tense. It's a present tense. Am I, am I seeking to know him today? And then that second week, Charlie talked about that, you know, our emotional life, you know, the things that we believe about Jesus and the things that we're, that we're learning in his word. Is it changing the way that we view life, that we view ourselves, you know, in, in our hearts and I'll be honest with you, this is the part of these four pieces that I think I just, most of my Christian life, we haven't talked about this part. And in the time that I've been at the Grove, it's been the part that I feel like Jesus has been working on me the most. Just really looking at myself in truth, uh, wanting to, to be authentic, <laughs> wanting what I say I believe to play out in who I am. And in the relationships that I have with other people, for it not to be, I mean, for me to be real. You know, I, I remember in college, I went to a, to a private Christian school, and so it was just notorious for, you know, to be in the bubble where every, everybody was okay, always okay all the time. You know, nobody, nobody was supposed to have any problems. There was a bridge in the middle of campus, and every, I mean, for four years, I would cross that bridge multiple times a day. And when you saw somebody on the bridge, you said, how's it going? And what was the answer? They always said, just, it's great. And I don't remember ever one day stopping and saying, you know, I'm not having too good of a day. You just said, there's really only one correct answer to the question, how's it going? And it's, it's going fine. And I remember, it was my senior year, I got to the other end of the bridge one day, and I was like, you know what, it's not fine today. And I should be able to say that. And furthermore, I just walked by five people and said, how's your day? And didn't even wait around for an answer. Because we both know that there's only one correct answer when you're crossing the bridge in this campus, you know? And that's not okay. 
And it felt so good when our family became a part of this community and we started to have conversations where I could tell people were saying, are you okay? No, Mark, really. Like, how, how you really doing? And that second, it took, it took the second, sometimes the third time of looking me in the eye and asking me the question to get to that deeper place because I just, not just with people, but in my own life, not going there very often to say, hey, are the things that I believe that Jesus says are true, am I experiencing those things in, the, in, in, my, in my heart? Or am I just anxious and worried and just living as if there is no God? So the, the B part, critical. And then last week, Charlie talked about just the do part of what we do in our private life. You know, when nobody's watching, what does your, your character look like? Are these things that you believe and the, the do's and the don'ts of what it means to follow Jesus and to live a holy life? Is that, is that true when you're alone? And, you know, he was talking about, you know, you might think that you're alone, but God is present. And something else I've realized about that is you are also present. <laughs> and, and you know. And I've had so many conversations with people, especially men, who then we move to the part of, hey, what do you do in your public life? And how, how might God use you to do something really cool? And they feel totally limited because of the weight of the guilt over what happens in the, in the private world because, because they, you know, nobody else knows, but they know. And so it's really hard for them to walk out here and be anything because in their private world they know that their, their character is, is in question, even if they're the only ones just them and God know. And so it's critical that in, in, us, when we look in the mirror, we know that we're following Jesus authentically. But then today we're going to talk about then what does it look like. So these things are true. Now, what does God want us to do, and what does it look like when we walk out and, and, and not even walk out, just in our homes, in our church family, in our community, in the world? What, is, what does it look like then? And to do that, I want to, there's a lot of places that we could go in the Bible and talk about that, but I want to go to 1 John chapter 4. And if you've spent any time or know anything about 1 John, one thing you need to know is that the, the author does not mix words. He just, I mean, he's just straightforward. Hey, the children of light and the children of life, they look like this. <laughs> and if you don't look like that, there's a problem. And you should look like this because people who follow, follow God, they look, they look like this because they look like God. And this is how God is. And this is, and this, he, just, he just draws some clear lines. And it's almost more, uh, it's kind of poetic or just uh, very straightforward. And he repeats himself a lot to make some points really strongly. You'll see that in, this, in these four verses. So here, I'll just read it for, it and th- for you, and then we'll kind of break it down. 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. All right, all right real quick. You know, I grew up in South Arkansas, and my, one of my favorite school teachers coming through was the choir teacher, believe it or not, named Miss Jones. And Miss Jones did something in, insane. She... She made choir cool, and she got all, everybody wanted to be in choir, and somehow she was able to take this bunch of South Arkansas teenagers and teach us how to, when we sing, to say love instead of love, because I just naturally say love, right? I don't say love. So I'm going to try really hard today to say love and not love. But honestly, we're also going to talk today about kind of the mirage or the, the fake love and what love is. And, and there is a difference. So I'll try to read it correctly as I read this. 
beloved, because it's in here quite a few times. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is, is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. You see what I'm saying? He, he doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that, that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son uh, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Y'all catch any theme out there? I mean, come on. In, in four verses, 15 times the word love is used. He's trying to say something, all right? So hopefully by the time we finish today, we've got some kind of idea because he's making some kind of point. And it's, it centers around this word love, which, if I jump on a soapbox just for a second, is way overused, right, and misunderstood. I mean, we'll use love for everything. Man, I love peanut butter. I love peanut butter. And you know, I had a friend a few years ago who was like, man, I got real convicted about it because I don't want to use the same word I use for my wife to be the word I use for peanut butter. I don't want to be the same word I use for God to be the word I use for peanut butter. And this guy really liked peanut butter a lot. But he's like, man, I, I like peanut butter. I, I, like, I like peanut butter a lot. But I don't, I don't love peanut butter. I just like peanut butter. And I need to draw a distinction in my own world so I don't get confused because when I, when I say I love peanut butter... In some ways, it kind of brings down how much I love my wife, what that word means when I use it. When I say to my wife, I love you, and she heard me just a little while ago say, I love peanut butter. <laughs> you see, it just didn't have the same power. This deserves like, this one, this sacrificial, I'm, I'm laying down my life for you, we are in this thing together, I, this, is, this, is, this is love, and, and there's a huge distinction. But there's also some crazy power in this word that it's true in the church, it's true outside of the church. I could use a whole lot of examples for it, but probably the best one is the one I, I think I've told here before. We, we went to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert one time, and it was a horrible concert. The lead singer pulled a hammy and, you know, had to sit on the side of the stage and sing. And at the end, the, the bass uh, player, who's pretty famous for this, you know, jumps up and does a, does a handstand and comes to the front of the stage, and then he, he jumps up and says, Peace and love, y'all! Peace and love in the whole room, man, this huge art thing. Everybody breaks out, yeah, peace and love. You say love, everybody's like, yeah, love, love's good. Well, y'all, if you look at this passage, this says the origin of love is, is the living God, our God. That's, that's where love comes from. It comes from, from him. You know, it, this is a day of origin stories. If you have noticed with all like superheroes and things, now we're always superheroes. And I just knew Batman is Batman. Now all of a sudden I got to find out where did Batman come? How did he become Batman? The Smurfs. Every Saturday I'd watch the Smurfs, this little village of these little blue people with the funny hats. 
I never questioned one Saturday morning, where did the Smurfs come from? And why is there only one girl? Now we watched a movie the other day with the twins, and they're telling me the story of how Smurfette came to be. Well, I didn't know. Man, that's good to know. Smurfette, yeah. Now, now I need an origin story. Well, if you want the origin story of real deal, real, not fake, not manufactured, but the real deal kind of love, it begins in God. Uh, let me just read those two verses, those first two verses for you. Beloved, let us love. So, man, sorry, I'm not going to get caught up here, but beloved, I could stop right there and close my Bible and us all go home and everything else I'm going to say pretty much just said in how many words? Five, four words. Beloved, let us love. Beloved. Beloved means loved one. Dear one, sweetheart, I mean, we, or, do you see yourself, do you believe what God says about us, that we are loved by him, beloved? Multiple times in First John, that's what he, he calls us, the, the beloved. So if we are the beloved, then he says, let us love. That's what the beloved do. If you've been given love and you are loved, then the knee-jerk reaction is then then you love. It comes to you on its way to somebody else. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is the identifying mark. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God in his very essence and his very character is love. So an identifying mark of a child of God who has really embraced this beloved part, this be, is that he, she, they, they love. And I was thinking about this, y'all. I mean, I, I've got some identifying marks as a, as a pal Freeman that I passed down, and I was looking at some pictures of my boys when they were little the other day, and I was thinking, man, I'm so sorry. I just need to apologize to those guys. I, I got a a nasty widow's peak. If I let my hair grow out, I mean, I could put Eddie Munster to shame. I mean, it, and when the pictures of them when they're little, especially, like, I mean, it, it you know, it's just bad. It's, it's just bad. I, and I got this skin that won't tan. It won't tan. You people that your, your skin can tan, you just don't know what, how, how awesome that is. When, you, when you, your skin don't tan, I mean, we spent a summer in Florida, and I worked on the beach, and I was out there every day. And by the end of the summer, we were out at this place, and this little kid runs by, and he says, Mommy, Mommy, look at the orange guy. Look at the orange guy. And then two days later, even the orange was gone. So I passed on the pale skin, you know. I mean, those are the identifying marks. The identifying marks of a child of God is that they love. And so if you see a person who's, who's loving sacrificially and, and without any expectation of return, Oh, man. Not, I mean, it doesn't mean that every person that do, does that is necessarily a follower of Jesus because this, this love of God can show up. But, man, if you see it in the person, you're like, man, that's not natural. That's not natural. That's coming from a source. And the source, the origin is God because God is love. Now, I know some people might argue, well, but hold on. God is God is holy. And so all this, you know, biblically, God is love. God is also holy, and he's about the rules and the regs, and you better make sure, you know, don't leave that out. God is love, but he's also, but I just got to tell y'all, I mean, looking at it, 
You're right. God is holy. God is set apart. He's set apart in his love. And when Jesus was put to task and he was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? You know what he said? Love. The Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he didn't say that. that one. He didn't say this is some new command. In fact, if you go Old Testament and you go to the law and you look at the, the cliff notes of the law, you look at the Ten Commandments. Real quick, let's do it. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You should love God. First priority in your life. You should not make for yourself a carved image. You shouldn't give the love of God to a statue, to an idol, to a, to a man-made thing. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You should love God. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Love God. Then we turn the corner. Honor your father and mother. You should love your mom and daddy. You shall not murder, because that's not loving, right? You should not commit adultery, because that's not loving. You should not steal, because guess what? That's not very loving. You should not lie to anybody, because I tell you what, being deceived and being lied to, that don't feel good. That's not being loved. You shall not be jealous of what somebody else has because it's not love. I mean, these things, if you put it in context, God is love. And what it means to be set apart and holy, I mean, all of this is built around loving. Loving God with all our hearts and loving people as ourselves. It's love. Those things we aren't supposed to do are the things that are not loving because we're supposed to love because God is love. The reason he doesn't do those things is because he is love. So he's not going to lie because he's love. He's not going to steal because he's love. That's who God is, and that's who his children are. So this second part, uh, verses 9 and 10, it, it says that he's demonstrated, he's manifested what this love looks like. So we don't have to question or wonder. He's given us a picture. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Did you catch that? Not that that we loved God, but that he loved us. It, It didn't start with us. He didn't send Jesus because we were saying, we love you, we love you, we love you. And he was responding to somebody who was loving him. He wasn't sending Jesus because we were lovely. He wasn't like, look at those lovely people. I think I should send. No, it wasn't. We were unlovable. We were ugly. We were broken. We were running our own way away from him. We were spitting in his face with our sin. We were very unlovely. Unlovable. And he sent his son to take the sacrifice for our sin. That's what that big $5 word means. <laughs> to take, uh, that I have trouble saying because it's got too many syllables. Uh, but it's to take and, and appease what was against us because of our sin against the holy God. And that's what love looks like. He laid down his life sacrificially. And that's where we, get, we start to miss the difference between the peanut butter love and the real love of God. The, the peanut butter love is... I get something in return. I love you. You love me back. I, I scratch your back. You scratch mine. All these expectations, all these. That's not, that's, that's love. But love means I, I'm loving you 
even when you're unlovely. Maybe especially when you're unlovely. The people who to me are unlovely, the, the, the we's are easy to love. The them's, that's, that's a little bit tougher. But Jesus, man, he went and lived among the them's. I mean, he, he, that's how he loves. And, um, you know, I thought about this a few years ago. I had a, a business partner in Asia that his son was getting married. And he, he asked me to come over and be a part of the wedding. And so as I was thinking about that, I, I called him up and I'm like, man, I, I don't know if you know this, but I actually officiate some weddings back in the U.S. And, and if you'd let me at some point, I would love to, to bless your son and bless the couple in the name of Jesus. And he and his family and the people that were going to be there aren't Jesus followers. Many of them had never even heard the name of Jesus but he was like, one more blessing, man. Bring the blessing home. We'll take it. And, you know, so he said, yeah, some, at some point, I'll call you up and you can bless, bless the couple. So I said, all right. So then I started planning and thinking. And um, I knew some friends who had tried to explain the love of Jesus using a, a coconut in that place because they used coconut a, a lot of times in, the, in their ceremonies. And what this guy did is he took... A coconut, not the clean coconut you get at the Walmart store, but like the dirty, you know, with the shuck still on it, all that brown. And he would take it and talk about how this is what my life looked like and my sin and filth and brokenness. But then Jesus came and he was broken. And then he took the coconut and he broke it to make me clean. And then he showed the, the white part of the, you know, the coconut. And he also, this was really cool, they cut little pieces off and passed it around the crowd. I was in the crowd, and I'd never eaten the fresh meat of a coconut. Have you ever, I mean, it's, it's bitter, bitter, bitter. I was like, oh, coconut, man, I like coconut smoothies, you know? No, that wasn't a coconut smoothie. But it, but it symbolized something. This sacrifice, it was costly to, to make us clean. I tried to practice this before I went over there for the wedding, and I learned something. You don't just... Bust a coconut, like if I busted it this morning, it's full of that milk, and it would be like y'all were at SeaWorld, like the first five rows would just be covered. And that happened. It was really awkward at this one thing I did. So, so I learned my lesson. So I, I, I got there. Uh, I got a friend to go get me a coconut from the market. I brought it back. I cracked it just enough to kind of drain the coconut milk out of it. And then I had my coconut, and I was ready to, to bless the couple, which to me was really important because I wanted to explain to this couple that this love of Jesus was a different love than what they had heard of before. It was a love that was sacrificial. And if this wedding and this marriage was going to work, it was going to require that kind of love. And so uh, I took the coconut and I I put it in a little bag. And, you know, they're not (laughs) 30-minute, they're not 30-minute weddings. They're, you know, four or five days, multiple hours. And so I just put it in the bag and I carried it around. In fact, I got a picture here. One of those nights, there was a big dance. We were dancing down the street. And you see my bag? I, I'm carrying my coconut around, man. I, I was ready. And all along, the crowd was going, hey, wait. Why, my friends went, what, what, what you got in that bag, man? <coughs> why you got the coconut? Oh, I promise you'll see. You'll see. Well, we get down to the last night, and they, all the ceremony was finished. And then the father said, okay, Mark, it's, it's your turn. So then I sat down in front of the couple. I've got a picture here of it. I, uh, I sat down in front of the couple. And I broke the coconut, and I, I, I looked at him, and I explained that that's what Jesus had done. He had sacrificed himself. And then I looked at the groom, and I'm like, man, if this thing's going to work, you're going to have to love her more than yourself. 
And that's not going to be easy, and sometimes that's not going to be comfortable. But that's what the, it's, it's this Jesus. It's, it's not the, the love, maybe you, this is a different kind of love. It's a sacrificial love. And if it's going to work, man, girl, you're going to have to love him more than yourself. And sometimes that's not going to be comfortable. But it's that kind of love, that, that sacrificial, no expectation of return kind of love. And so he says that that's what Jesus did. He demonstrated. You want to know what the love of God, the love of God looks like? Man, it's, it's what Jesus did. And then it says in the last two verses, beloved again, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. The response of being loved like that is loving one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected through us. It's like people begin to see what God is like because they, they see his love in us. I, um, Terry and I were at this training one time where they were trying to teach us what it would look like if you got abducted, like while you were doing something overseas. If, if you got abducted and they started to interrogate you and, uh, you know, they told us all the stories about people who had been abducted and kept in, you know, back rooms for years and years and years. And it was this group of army vets from Idaho. I don't know why I remember that. These, they look like whatever you imagine the guy from Idaho to look like. There was a whole bunch of them. And, uh, and they were real intense. And they had, like, pretty intense cap guns and smoke bombs and and uh, they would throw people around and, and, and interrogate them and put you on film for all the rest of the trainees to watch. And I remember like, man, a couple times I was like, man, you better back off, man. You know, they're trying to teach me what to do, but I don't like this Idaho guy. Anyway, uh, so one of the days they tell this story to the crowd. There's about 200 people in the training room. They tell this story. They're like, you get abducted. You're, uh, the, the, your abductors are going to move you from one place to another. And they tell you you're going to get in a line and just make your way from this place to that place. But nobody runs, nobody screams or draws any attention or, or they're going to hurt everybody. And then he said, you start to walk out the room and you look over and there's a scooter over there with the keys in the ignition. And the guy said, do you take the scooter? Now, there's a whole bunch of goody two-shoes people in the room. And a couple guys go, well, no, you don't take the scooter. That's stealing. And I looked over at Terry. I, don't, I didn't talk up much, but that day I was like, y'all crazy. Yes, you take the scooter. Do you not know when God provides something? If he provides a scooter with the keys in it, you take the scooter. What are y'all thinking? You're just going to take the scooter and then I'm just going to, woohoo, I'm free and drive off? No. And not even look in my rearview mirror? No. Man, if I found freedom, you better believe I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I'm not forgetting the people who I was just in prison with. You don't think I'm going to go find the first person to come help these people? You don't think I'm going to bring the scooter back to the guy that I stole it from and give him a car and $10,000? I'll do whatever. Come on. When you get free, you go set other people free. When you find freedom and you know people who don't have it that are in bondage, you go give them freedom. You find true love. Man, you're compelled for that love to go to somebody else. You don't keep that. You don't keep real love to yourself. You don't keep freedom to yourself. Generosity. Man, somebody's been generous to you. You don't hold generosity. You give generosity. That's what you do. That's what you do. It's natural. He says, this is the response. If God loved us like this, y'all, beloved, 
we ought to. We ought to. Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite, verse 1, one of my favorite verses. I mean, Romans, you got this 11 chapters where Paul is talking about this kind of love. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in the New King Jimmy Version, because that's how I memorized it, he said, I beseech ye therefore, brethren. You may not use beseech, but does beseech have some power? I think, I, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, talking about 11 chapters, about this, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your reasonable act of, I mean, this is just, this is what you do. If this is true, this is just what you do. And you may ask yourself, who is the one another? Kind of like they asked Jesus, man, who's, who's your neighbor? Is that, is that literally the people in my neighborhood? Is that the people in my house? Is that the people in my church family? Is that the people in my community? Is that the people on the other side of the world that I've never met? Yep, 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 yep. And I know that may feel really, really overwhelming, but that's, that's what it is. It, it, yes. Yes. And like I said a minute ago, if it's a them, even all the more. Even all the more. Because the us's are easy to love. The them's are hard to love, and you see the love of God when a, a, somebody in this group loves somebody in that group. Or when somebody in this group does go a long ways to go love somebody that's really different than them. You know? That's when you see the evidence of this supernatural love. I think I've been guilty a whole lot of, when I think about this, of loving with the expectation of a return on that investment. Whether it's family or friends or uh, but I, I'm going to love big, but I've got kind of this thing down deep in my heart, kind of in, on the back, like, man, I'm loving, but I'm expecting that that's going to come back around to me. And I'm going to be loved back. And, um, and kind of preparing for this morning, I thought about this. You know what? I'm thinking about that wrong because I'm acting as if that love started with me. So I'm loving and then that love's coming back to me. But the reality is the love that I have started with with God. And it came to me, and the return on that investment is me loving <laughs> without any expectation of it coming back to me, just like I was loved. And so I need to love and not expect anything back. If that person loves me back, if that person's lovable or unlovable or whatever, but loving without any expectations. And I see that every week here. There's, uh, there's some names I could call, actually some folks in the room that they'd probably shoot me if I, if I said their names, but that have loved our, our Roots Youth Ministry for a long time, have sacrificed time, energy, their own money. They've done things like lock-ins or gone to Silver Dollar City and <laughs> to ride roller coasters, but hang out with, you know, middle school kids and middle school jokes and laughed, you know? <laughs> There's kids in this room that have helped with our, with our Grove kids. And I'm just going to tell you, that's the, that's the old line of the, of the church service world, right? You don't, get, you don't sign autographs when you work in the kids. But, man, you're back there changing diapers and making it possible for somebody to be in here and to worship. Man, that's, that's sacrificial love. No, no expectation of return. 
I know some small group leaders that I work with that I've sat at the table when they shed tears caring for somebody in their group that's struggling with something at that time. And not, they're not expecting anything in return. That's you're just loving because Jesus loved them. They're just loving. You know, there's a whole lot of folks in here um, that are part of the Grove that have fostered and adopted. Amen. What more of a beautiful picture of loving with no, you know, not a return on that. It's just we, we love. And there, you see glimpses of this is what Jesus looks like. Uh, the people we've got in the back that have jumped on a plane and taken their families to the other side of the planet because people haven't heard about Jesus and they're willing to go enter into a new culture and a new place and learn it and love. No expectation of return. That's evidence of who this Jesus is. A few months ago, Charlie came to our staff and we were walking through these four different things and he just asked us to look at our life and to really consider what would be the, the next step in these four areas. And I know there's, there's a lot there, and so that might take you a little time to flesh out when you're by yourself. But in the next few minutes as we sing these songs, I just want to ask you, what is that thing? Maybe this morning, particular to this message, or maybe when I was talking about those other parts and when you've been here the last few weeks, what is that thing that, that Jesus has put his finger on? Like, you know what? I want to do something about this. Maybe it's, man, I, I really want you to be more intimate with me. I want to spend more time with you. Maybe it has something to do with your personal life or, or what it means to really be okay and embrace the things that he said about you. But as we sing, would you just pray and ask him to reveal that and take some step of, hey, this next week, I'm going to move forward in that thing. All right, let me pray.